Aloha guys, this is Jason from Hawaii. I'm here with Josh Warner, one of the, ori the original founding member of Source Point Press, the chief creative officer and art director. Josh, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, no, thank you very much. Um, before we begin, I want to say thank you very much for, you know, arranging the interview, um, for letting me interview Howard Wong and um, Josh Stafford, the writers of Damn Cursed Children. That's a great comic. That is. That's a great comic book series. It is. I've read the first issue. I got the second one on my reading stack, but thank you very much. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, before we continue, Josh, um, where can listeners follow you and SourcePoint Press? on your social medias. Sure, um, so you can find me at, uh, me personally at Joshua Frantic uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I, don't, I don't use Facebook very much, but SourcePoint, we, we are on Facebook very heavily at SourcePoint Press, at SourcePoint Press on Instagram, and at SourcePT Press on Twitter. Uh, and we're very, very active, uh, both myself and SourcePoint on Twitter. Uh, so that's a really good place if you want to interact and be able to, you know, talk to us in real time. You can usually find us uh, pretty active there. And we love comments and feedback and questions. And we love when people send pictures of, of the books that they've gotten and, you know, what they enjoyed. Uh, and even if you didn't enjoy it, we want to hear. So, yeah, hit us up anytime. Okay, thank you. All right. So um, where did you grow up? Um, so I grew up just north of Detroit in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, now I live in Saginaw, Michigan, which um, for anybody who doesn't know, oh, this is only going to be audio, but you can hold up your hand and, uh, and make the shape of the state. And uh, I started off in the southern thumb area, and now mm -hmm. I'm kind of up to that weird little webbing between your thumb and your first pointer finger. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Um, do you remember what was um, your first comic that you read? Oh, that's a great question. So... Um, I didn't have a comic book store near me, but there was a party store that had a spinner rack, one yeah. of those kids' comic spinner racks. And I think one of the first ones that I picked up from a store was um, a Silver Surfer comic. And I had no context, no clue, just knew that it, it had this cool embossed holographic, like uh, foil Silver Surfer yes. on the cover. And, um, and it, I fell in love. And then from there, my sister had been reading Archie comics mm -hmm. and she was older than me. And every single new comic that she finished, I would sneak into a room and nab it, take it to my room and read uh -huh. it. And then, uh, from there I ended up, uh, like getting just boxes from flea markets of old, uh, uh, Donald Duck comics and Mickey Mouse comics and things like that as a kid. And yeah, it totally sparked it. And I continued uh, straight through reading comics to this day. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, this question is from Drew. He's the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit. Um, do you remember your first LCS? I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it was about a half an hour away from my house. It was, it was the closest one to me. And um, it was called Taurus Comics. I don't believe they're around anymore, but it was in Port Huron, Michigan. And I just remember it being this such a special experience i would go there about twice a month mm -hmm. and um and just look for you know any kind of series i could pick up and that's when i just tried new things and discovered new things and mm -hmm. kind of you know fell in love with the with the marvel universe and tried out uh 
the original uh, Dragon Ball manga in single issues, uh, um, it, all that stuff kind of just deep dove into that store. And um, that just gave me a, a love and appreciation for comic book retailers mm -hmm. and what they do and their struggles. And um, to this day, a big part of what I do is, is in hopes of supporting them and making sure that we keep those shops alive. Oh, okay, that's great. Okay, now, how did your, how did your journey into the comic book industry begin? So mm -hmm. in college, I, uh, I, I, I got a major in what's called, what we called communication arts, but basically it was illustration. And I was doing primarily traditional illustration uh, meant for, for marketing, for advertising, for um, uh, uh, illustrations, spot illustrations for novels. Um, I was doing a lot of stuff for magazines. Mm -hmm. And one thing I had learned in college was whatever you do, don't go into comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had originally went to art school with the intention of working in comics. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically everyone in, in art school was like, don't do that. Fine. There's plenty of other illustration gigs in the world. And then uh, I switched schools halfway through to a different college and because a lot of the instructors were, uh, were comic book uh, artists and writers. And uh, Timothy Truman became one of my instructors. He is an absolute legend. Um, he, he wrote a lot and illustrated uh, Conan, Conan the Barbarian, um, uh, Scout, um, Turok, the Dinosaur Hunter, uh, just, just absolute legend. And I got, I kind of became friends with him and his family. They would invite him over for dinner and I could, I watched him work in his studio and, and he would be painting, traditionally painting these big Conan the Barbarian pages. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that there was no way I was going to stay out of comics. I, I was going to at some point end up in comics because it was just impossible not mm -hmm. to. Uh, when I graduated, I was primarily doing work for bands. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, album covers for like foreign death metal bands. And uh, I started doing t-shirts for bands. Mm -hmm. And with all the freelancing for t-shirts, that ended up leading me to a full-time fashion design gig mm -hmm. where I would originally been hired to do... Um, to do artwork for t-shirts because I understood how to translate traditional art into screen printing, which yeah. is not easy. Not every artist uh, knows how to break down the screens exactly the way that the printer would need. Mm -hmm. And um, that ended up somehow leading me down a really interesting path towards, uh, I had a denim line and I, I designed shoes for a little bit. Um, I did a ton of jackets and mm -hmm. I ended up working with a lot of celebrities um, making custom jackets for them. Mm -hmm. And, Somehow in the midst of all that, I was still freelancing yes. little bits into the publishing industry, mostly doing illustrations for, for prose novels and book covers. And that's when I, uh, I met Gary Reed. Um, Gary Reed was the, the, the founder of Caliber Comics and a legendary writer in his own right, written well over 100 publications, just a phenomenal person. And he kind of launched the careers of so many um, big names in the industry these days. And he, uh, something about me, he liked, and he was using me for, at this time, Caliber Comics uh, had ended, mm -hmm. um, but was about to start up again. And he, uh, in the meantime, uh, co-owned a company called Binary, okay. and uh, a company that I'm still heavily actually involved in to this day. Uh, I was doing freelance for Gary for Binary, doing pre-press and graphic design and things mm -hmm. like that, sometimes cleaning up old pages and uh, laying out books and doing logos and um, then he wanted to try out some of my illustration work. So he landed me a gig 
briefly for some Dead World stuff while Dead World, one of his hit titles was at IDW. Yeah. I was doing uh, uh, side illustrations used for other marketing purposes and for trading cards and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell in love with Dead World and he would throw me little things here and there where I could kind of keep me in the Dead World universe Mm -hmm. after that along the way. Um, And then uh, we started a company called Caprice Brands where we started a soda line just for Dead World zombie soda. And now at this point, I'm still not working in comics, but I'm getting very close to. (laughs) And um, uh, after that, uh, he brought Caliber back. And um, I helped in a lot of ways, um, just doing whatever I could. Uh, A lot of new book covers. um, And he said, I, at this point, I had just met Trico Lutkins. Uh, he was a writer who was doing a lot of prose and wanted to shift into comics. Oh, and okay. he wanted to hire me to do illustrate a comic. And I said, well, how do you plan to publish this? Do you have anybody you want to pitch it to? What's your ideal publisher? Mm-hmm. Um, and after a lot of talking, him and I decided to self-publish it. But I said, you know, I've been watching Gary Reed. I've been learning a lot about publishing. Mm-hmm. I've been working for a lot of publishers. I think we could make this more than just self-published. I think we could start a little publishing company. Uh, and so we formed SourcePoint Press in late 2012. And uh, that grew way faster than I expected. Even in that first year, we put out over a dozen publications and we did a, a split. It was about 50-50 prose books and and uh, comics and graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And Gary, I'd come to him for advice and mm-hmm. saying like, I wanna start this publishing company. I'm in over my head. What mm-hmm. am I doing? You know, uh, Trico is here with me doing it, but he also doesn't know anything yeah. about starting a publishing company. And his advice was, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he's like, you're gonna do it anyway, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> he's like, okay. Uh, so he did, he gave me a lot of great advice that I still follow to this day. And, um, uh, and it kind of rolled from there. Uh, it grew, uh, Travis McIntyre uh, came on and became our CEO a few years later. And um, that's when we really started like uh, upping the game. Uh, Trico was no longer involved much later after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis and I kind of grew the company into what it is from that point. And, uh, Gary, uh, for a while I was doing a lot of stuff for Caliber because um, Gary agreed to write a series for us at SourcePoint, not at Caliber. Okay. And uh, in exchange, I had like a little debt to work off to him <laughs> at Caliber, which I would have done anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so he threw me a bunch of book covers and things like that. And then uh, when issue two of his series um, that he was doing for us had just come out, uh, we were at a convention together, uh, sharing a table in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great weekend, we had a great time. We drove home and mm-hmm. uh, two days later he passed away. Oh, uh, very, very unexpectedly. Um, it, was, it was a huge shock to, to us and to the entire industry. I mean, the, that was a heck of a funeral, let me tell you. Uh, he was a just beloved, beloved man in this industry. And uh, we uh, do our best to kind of follow in his footsteps and what he did in this industry and raising up like uh like smaller voices in the industry and giving them a platform and um that's as long as we're doing that and continuing to do that then i know that comics is where i belong yes and that uh, i'm on the right path okay oh yeah i'm sorry about that yeah 
Yeah. I think I answered your question. That was a little long-winded. Sorry. No, that was no, but no, um, Josh, that was really great. That was really great. Um, um, when you started up source point press and correct me if I'm wrong, you said in 2012. Yeah. Um, so I think our first comic was in two, we actually came out in 2013, but we were working on them in 2012 and we had like started the social media pages and I designed the logo and we made like a press release announcement yes. of the company. Yeah. Okay. Now what's it, um, uh, um, is it source point price? Basically I'm just asking your headquarters is in Michigan, correct me wrong, Michigan? Or yes. So it kind of started off at my kitchen table, uh, closer to Detroit, but then, um, a couple of years ago, we uh, we started trying to localize it here in Saginaw, which is um, which is a couple hours north. And mm -hmm. we eventually opened uh, uh, we 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 took over the back room of a comic book shop. <laughs> that was how we started. Okay. We, so like they had a back room that had a bunch of extra space, and we needed a place for all these mountains of books that we were, you know, yes. we were printing. And so uh, they moved their stuff out of the back room and we took over that and that became our first quote unquote warehouse. Yes. Uh, from that point, uh, it grew. Yes. The same building is actually a plaza of multiple businesses. Mm -hmm. We took over the entire business behind their shop. Okay. Uh, and that became our, our office and warehouse. And then I was driving back and forth a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, Travis lives uh, in Midland, which is closer to, to here. It's about, uh, about 40 minutes away. Okay. So I would stay at his house a few nights a week and then drive here to, to be at the office. Mm -hmm. And we only had a few couple employees, but um, it was a way for us to, to, you know, pack boxes and answer yeah. emails and mm -hmm. design stuff and then pack boxes. And the next thing you knew, we we grown into the business next to that, and we took over another business in the same plaza, and uh, and wrapped around that. And then the office area just became pure warehouse because uh -huh. we needed more and more space for our books. And uh, we at this point had grown into more than a comic book company. We published mm -hmm. board games as well, um, so that takes over a ton. Our our board game arm uh, called Deepwater Games requires a lot of warehousing. Mm -hmm. Um, and now we, we are the biggest thing in this plaza. We, we have a big uh, snaking, like a uh, Tetris L shape, basically. Yes. And we, we wrap all the way around the comic book store that we originally started in the back room of. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So, okay. So I'm going to go back. So, okay. So you guys started off basically behind a comic book store. Um, were you guys selling um, in 2013, were you guys selling your comics locally or did you guys went, no, nope, let's go national or did you guys slowly start off? It was very slow. We started, um, it was very local. It was all like, uh, it was small print runs in 2013. We were doing um, comic book store signings in Michigan and mm -hmm. uh, started doing convention appearances. Mm -hmm. and, and in 2014, we started going out of state. Uh, in 2015, we really kicked things off with Travis and, uh, and we started doing much, much bigger high profile conventions. Mm -hmm. uh, and then by 2017, we still didn't have proper distribution, um, mm -hmm. surprisingly, but we were selling uh, really high numbers of our comics, just hand sales. Oh, okay. And we, in our web store, it started really kind of taking off and um, we were moving a lot of products literally by driving places and meeting people and shaking hands and signing books and taking all of the creators on the road with us. Um, by 2019, we were doing 
75 conventions in a single year, yeah. which meant sometimes being in four places in, in one weekend. Because mm-hmm. There's only so many weekends in here. Yes. Uh, so uh, we, we, were, we really tapped out our resources. We, it became a logistics game of how many vehicles do we have we can use? Who has this banner? I, can, I have this banner. Yes. Okay, you have all the boxes. Oh my gosh, like that writer is in you know, California right now, but we accidentally took all of his books over to Boston. Yeah. It, it, tons of just logistics of like getting creators and products spread out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and by that time, we finally got to Diamond Comic Distribution and uh, they, at one point, they couldn't ignore us anymore because mm-hmm. we had set up a booth across from them at a convention, and they had to sit all weekend and watch us. We had this monster house booth. It was huge. We had a dozen creators signing autographs, and we were, books were flying off the shelf all weekend, and they were going, what in, how, who are these people? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we had just gotten so good at, uh, at, at traveling constantly uh, yes. every weekend and, and just really good at connecting with people and, you know, um, getting them excited about the product. And we had, at this point, we'd done enough uh, shows consecutively year after year that people expected us and were looking forward to us being in their city. Yes. And we kind of became like a, a punk band that never stops going on tour. Yes. Uh, it's kind of pretty cool. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that is that is pretty cool. That's awesome. Because <laughs> it's not the way other publishers start. A lot of them get like a big cash influx and they yes. immediately, they get their distribution and they get their business yes. model and they get an investment and then they have to make their business plan work. That wasn't us at all. We were very grassroots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I love it when you said that at one convention, you guys are just right across from Diamond. <laughs> and, <laughs> they had no choice but to stare at us. <laughs> I, I'm just asking, you know, like I said, I'm going a little off the cuff. So did, during that time, did anyone from Diamond walk over to you guys and go, hi, I'm so-and-so, can we meet with you guys and talk? Or how did, can, yes. can you talk <laughs> about that? You, you, I, you know, I, I want to hear that fun story of how did you guys get into Diamond? So, you know? uh, so at this time, we had been, we had been trying to, uh, to the thing with diamond and, uh, and this is, they are, uh, they're friends and partners of ours, of course, but uh, at this time, they, the, the person in charge of the submissions, their, their job is essentially to kind of try to, they're full, like they're full up. They've got a massive catalog, this thick, they've got so many people in it. And there's these little tiny companies that come and go and die yes. and only last like a couple of years. They, they don't have the manpower and effort to give all of them a platform just to have them fail and then recycle over and over and over again. They, they have brand managers that are assigned to each one of these publishers. So you really do have to prove yourself in your longevity as a publisher to be able to, to start off in, in previews. So um, we've been rejected 27 times, I think, by this point. We had sent in 27 submissions and, uh, and we'd done everything. We tailored the, to, uh, to the, because I wanted feedback for every rejection. Like, why did you not like it? What, what is the problem? And it was always something different. It was like, oh, the MSRP is too high. Um, the MSRP is too low. The page count is a little off. Uh, oh, maybe this would be a better as an ongoing series. No, this one's better as a graphic novel. So we would keep changing and adjusting and, and following all these. And then we would find a new reason to get rejected. Yeah. And, um, and then finally, uh, uh, a friend of ours now at the time, he, he was working for their gaming division mm-hmm. uh, alliance. And he came over and was looking at the books and he's like, man, these would make some great board games. 
and we little did he know we were developing a board game company at the time yes. um, and he's like man these all make such great board games and uh and he's like he's like how are these doing in the catalog and mm-hmm. i said what catalog he's, he's like previews in our catalog i said they're not in your catalog he's like what about this one and uh-huh. i was like no he's i said no none of these no uh-huh. and we had uh about 40 titles on the table at the time yeah. And uh, I said, none of these are, are in previews. And he said, how are you guys making it without distribution? Who's, who's your comic book distributor? I'm like, no, no, we're doing it ourselves. And at this point, we had a, we were, you know, cold calling stores and we had, you know, deals we were working out directly with them, uh, which is not something a distributor particularly wants. You know, that's something yeah. that they want to be part of. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, they can do it better. <laughs> they are a distributor. So uh, he was, he was flabbergasted. And mm-hmm. I said, I, I see he, Josh Jeppe, the, uh, um, uh, I believe he's the president of the company. He's the son of the, of Steve, the owner of, of Diamond Comic Distributors and all of their subsidiary companies. Uh, he was going to be at the booth that day sitting next to Rich Ankeny. And I said, when Josh comes, all I ask is that you nudge him and go, hey, keep an eye on this booth. Yes. Because I knew we were just going to slay. <laughs> and, uh, and that was how that was how we actually got their their attention, and they started really kind of talking to us. And then we had a sit down dinner with Josh and uh, and Tra- Travis and Josh got together, and um, and yeah, it was after that the, the gates were open, and they were really excited to have us on board, and uh, and they've been just wonderful partners ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've got to say that's that is incredible. I mean, um, yeah, that's incredible. You guys get all these rejection letters telling you do this no do this do this and then you guys are at one convention and it's like no here we are showing you we can do this yeah (laughs) the proof was in the sales that weekend i guess (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's great that that's a that's a that's a great story it is yeah (laughs) all right um let's see um see um okay so we you covered how source point press started um started um let's see um i'm gonna ask um as a chief creative officer you know um help me to understand what are your duties as a chief creative officer so one of the things i was in starting this company, one of the things I was really bad at was the business side of things. <laughs> I was always, uh, always interested in the creative side of things and creative marketing and branding and uh, developing the identity of, of who we are and what we do. And um, everything beyond that was kind of a mystery to me. And I was just fumbling my way through it. Luckily, uh, Travis is a phenomenal partner and Travis is a phenomenal businessman. And he was able to kind of take over the reins on that, which meant that I was able to eventually settle into a job role at a company instead of trying to make this work alone or with, you know, or with Trico in the early days. And, um, uh, this has been great for me because uh, I get to kind of flex all the things that I'm good at and I get to work with some of the coolest and most creative minds in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what I do on a, like a day to day is uh, I get to kind of project manage comic books from start to finish. Uh, I get to be a part of the creative process and, and step in and, and give my, my two cents. And I, I look over, uh, I spend a lot of my time looking over people's files and arts and uh, helping them 
uh, become better artists really in, in, in not so much in their, their drawing abilities and skill set, but in their technical proficiency, saying like, we need to clean these pages up and let me show you how a better way to do this. We need to get better scans of this. You're doing the wrong proportions. Let me give you some templates that I made, um, things like that. And we get them, we help them kind of get on a road to being able to, to do this quicker and more efficiently because um, unfortunately comics are, are such a low paying gig that there's no time to waste. It's like, you got to do it right the first time to, and keep moving. Yes, um, yes. So I, I spent a lot of time doing that, but I also, uh, I jump in where I, wherever necessary because I, I'm technically capable of doing any of the steps. So if I need to edit a script, I do. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, if we have a book that doesn't have a letterer and we're in a pinch, I will do the lettering myself. Uh, sometimes I even do colors uh, or covers or things like that. Um, but most of the time uh, it's spent doing pre-press and uh, prepping and working with the printers and, and the factories and, and figuring out, uh, you know, costs and, and comparisons and looking at quality and papers and doing all that technical stuff, uh, which I also kind of enjoy. A lot of that comes back to uh, all the fashion design experience I did. During the time as a fashion designer, I traveled the world and I met with so many factories and I looked at all their capabilities and I created all these relationships and I, you were able to think outside the manufacturing box. Most people think, okay, I need a factory that can do everything that I need to do and I need to go there and so show them what I want and then they create it and then I take it home. And I went, well, what if we just did this portion here? Or what if you guys tried using that, which you usually uh -huh, use uh -huh. for a totally different product and we did this instead with it and just think outside the box and, and work with them and they get excited. Manufacturers kind of love that creativity when they know that you are worth their time and that you're going to provide business. Um, and so I kind of bring some of that to printing where I start looking at different options and saying, well, I like your, your spot finish over here. I like their cover stock. Maybe I can talk to the paper supplier and we can start pulling their, their cover stock over to this business, things like that. So it is a, it's a little bit boring sometimes, but I do get uh, the fun of being the first person to see artwork you know, come in every day. I, have, I get original pages sent to me sometimes. And, uh, and I get to, to be the first person to, to look over all these pages and read all these books and uh, And that passion has not gone away. So it's all every day is like Christmas opening up a little package, you know <laughs> Cool, that is, that is. Um, Josh it sounds like what you're doing is great because um, It sounds like the chief creative officer. That's where your strength lies and what's great, I'm sorry, I know I'm kind of regurgitating stuff, but what's really great is that you're looking at strengths of what people can do or what parts, you know, companies can do to make the, you know, to bring a comic book together instead of going, you're going to do all this, you know, in one, you know, it's like a one-stop shop type deal, but you're looking at, no, let's look across the board. Let's, it's a team building effort of making a comic. So true. Comic books are so collaborative. Um, it, one of the great things about this is that um, I end up just over time, I've, I've worked with uh, artists who are, are fun and reliable, uh, mm -hmm. writers who are incredibly talented and, and have some great ideas and they need to be paired together. So uh, on occasions, I'll get pitches for, for concepts, um, or we will as a company, we'll get a lot of pitches that are like, we don't have our team assembled, but this is what we'd like to do. And this is the direction we're taking. And I'm able to kind of help and say, mm -hmm. I have the perfect, I have the perfect person for this. Mm -hmm. um, most recently, uh, we, we started a, a comic book series, um, sort of publishing comic book series here called Cult of Dracula. And it has already taken off 
um, we were blown away by the reaction to issue one, which is hitting stores at the end of this month. But the pre-orders were, were uh, just overwhelming. Uh, people are so excited for this series. And right in the middle of it, um, the artist came down with COVID. Um, he had to leave the project because he became so ill and hospitalized. And um, uh, we were in a pinch where we, the next issue to be able to stay on the schedule, it had to be done in, uh, within 30 days. And we yeah. had no artist. Um, uh, I was able to step in and I was able to bring in an artist that I'd been dying to work with anyway. He was the perfect fit for the project and the project will continue to go on in the, in the style and vein that the original artist had, had began and uh, we're, we're, we're just as excited about it and we're hoping the fans will be too. And it's like, I'm so glad to have that, that network of people where I can kind of tag somebody in and, and say, I have a writer with an amazing project and I think you're perfect for it. Uh, and it's, it's super exciting. Uh, I, you know, I went from, from being a freelance illustrator myself and doing art myself. And now majority of my time is spent kind of curating other people's work and helping, helping kind of lift them up and guide them along. And a lot of people, they will ask along the way if I find it as rewarding as mm -hmm. seeing my own work out there. And the answer is yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. I know that all these people who are kind of getting this recognition they deserve, that like a little piece of me is kind of in all those books, you know, and, um, and I, I, each one is like my baby and I get to kind of watch it grow up and get its own legs and walk around and stuff. <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. Um, um, let's see. At, at Source Point Press, it sounds like you wear many hats. Um, yeah. Can you, can you talk about those other hats that you wear i know one of them is correct me if i'm wrong as i said at the top of the um, interview is that um, art director correct yes yeah, so um so going some sometimes art direction can be uh tricky because uh it's it's a very uh it can be it's hard to be objective i mean art uh, everybody everybody feels differently about artwork so i try to keep a very open mind and i don't um if i personally don't like a particular art style I try not to let that affect things. I try to look at the market, look at this art style's place in it, its yeah. audience. Um, quality is always going to be quality, and you can tell. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's a, you know minimalistic styles that are just as high quality as ultra detailed styles. Yes. And uh, so um, that's a tricky line to walk. But um, one of the things I do get to have kind of a bigger say in, or that I will allow myself to have a bigger say in, is is just quality based things like um, uh, lettering. Lettering is a big one. I'm, I'm a stickler for lettering. If if, if a book uh, it's just absolutely beautiful and the lettering does not come off professional. It can, it can just wreck the, the reader's experience and, and can definitely wreck the sales. So sometimes um, I'll pull in uh, mm -hmm. letterers that I, I'm very fond of and, and work with regularly to, to kind of redo lettering for certain projects. Um, logos, I, I end up doing a lot of the logos for the books um, because sometimes they just they'll just be amazing, but uh, the artists that they get to do the covers and the artists that get to do the interiors, they just don't design logos. Mm -hmm. So the writer will often attempt to make a logo themselves, which um, I don't recommend. <laughs> and so I usually end up redoing a lot of logos, uh, which is great. I've, done, I've designed well over a thousand logos in, uh, in so far in my career. So that's not an issue for me. Um, I don't mind doing it. And uh, you know, there's just little things where I, I get to kind of like call up artists and be like, ah, what were you going for on this panel? What if we change the lighting on this, the colors, things like that. Um, so that is very much what I do with SourcePoint specifically is I get very integrated into the project management. Uh, and then 
being CCO, so I'm, uh, our, we have a larger company um, that SourcePoint is now uh, part of a conglomerate. It's called Oxide Media. And in the Oxide Media corporate lineup, I am, I am the CCO. Mm -hmm. And that's, that means I'm the CCO of all three brands that we currently have under our umbrella. And that is, um, that is SourcePoint Press, our books and comics division, and then uh, Deepwater Games, our, um, our board game division, mm -hmm. and then N3, which is our uh, kind of board game accessories and, and art-driven uh, section where we do, we do big, uh, like high-quality play mats and desk mats and things like that. And we also sell uh, large framed pieces of artwork you can hang in your home. And um, that, uh, that mostly ends up becoming like a general overall uh, I get, you know, kind of a say in our marketing direction. I work with our marketing team and uh, also mostly it means I handle our production. So I'm, I'm like the official production manager over at Deepwater Games yes. where I work with factory on all the technical stuff on making the games and what's going to work. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy who's sitting there measuring the insides of the box and make sure that everything's going to fit in it when it's done, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, I've like sketches of all these different like wells and, and measurements and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually have a little bit of a CAD broke, uh, background too. Right before I got my college degree, I got, um, I got a manual drafting certificate and a, uh, and a CAD operating certificate. And that stuff has actually come in handy. I never thought I would use it because uh, yeah. I had no interest in it. But somehow it ended up coming in, in handy when it came time for uh, laying out patterns for fashion design and mm -hmm. uh, to product design uh, for packaging and things like that. So it's, I get to do all the weird math and stuff too, for calculating thicknesses of paper stocks and caliper of, <laughs> of cards. It's, uh, it's not for everybody, but I'm lucky that I have that brain where I can go technical and artistic and be able to kind of juggle all those uh, positions in one. Um, your board gaming um, section, when did that start off? Um, I gotta go back in my timeline in my brain. Uh, it's still fairly new. Uh, let's see. The, the pandemic is such a weird time to live because it's like this big black hole in time. And I'm like, did that year happen? I don't remember. Uh, I, I guess I understand. Yeah. It would be a little over two years now. Okay. And um, we have a just skyrocketed in that time uh, with a full line of games. And um, we have games that we we've developed uh, in-house. Uh, there's, here's part of the, the cool thing about running both a board game company and a comic book company. Mm -hmm. There are phenomenal board game uh, companies in the industry and there are phenomenal comic book companies in the industry. Yes. Technically those companies should all be competition for us, right? Yes. But because we have another division that those companies each don't do, we get to partner with them. Instead of being competitors, we get to be friends. So here's a great example. Uh, Cephalofair Games, uh, they publish the number one hit board game, tabletop game in the industry right now. It's called Gloomhaven. It comes in a giant box. It's like $150 and it's just, it takes like 70 hours to play. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's wildly popular. At Deepwater Games, we can't really compete with that. But what we can do is we can shift over to SourcePoint Press, shake their hand and say, would you guys be interested in a Gloomhaven comic book? And we did. We put out a Gloomhaven comic book and, uh, and it was a wild success. And now we get to do more, but we get to continue to partner with them. So instead of considering them a competitor in the game yeah. industry, we consider them a friend in the comic industry. And then on the other side of that, we get to do the other way around too. So Rat Queens is... Uh, one of the most beloved image comics titles in the world. We're all huge fans of it. And 
because you would consider Image to be a competitor of Source Point Press, instead they get to become a partner of Deepwater Games. And now Deepwater Games is developing, we, we were hard deep into it this week, in fact, developing the Rat Queens board game, which mm -hmm. is going to be in Kickstarter this summer. <clears throat> we're, it, it's such a cool, unique position to be in where we get to, <clears throat> to cross over these platforms and, and work with our so-called competition. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, in a couple of years time, we've, um, We've created games in-house. We've uh, worked with licenses uh, to develop games for them. We've taken some SourcePoint Press properties and developed games for that as well, such as uh, Franklin and Ghost is getting a, a, a card game that we've developed. Um, we've done the opposite. We've taken games that we're publishing called Claim, and we've, um, we've shifted that over into a comic book series. Mm -hmm. And um, we've also localized games that are only available pre uh, previously in other countries. For example, Asia has a phenomenal game market and they have just very cool games and a lot of the, um, the, the gameplay types are different from the mechanics that we're used to playing in regular board games in America. Uh, so one of the first things we were able to do is we partnered with Emperor S4 and we took all these phenomenal games that had already been distributed all across Asia and we bought them uh, over here and did all fresh translations, uh, tweaked the mechanics only enough to make them kind of relatable and, and understandable for a Western audience. And, um, and we've, we've seen great success in it. And it's something that we really uh, enjoy doing too, is the idea of that thinking that like, we can kind of make the world that much smaller and kind of like unite us a little bit more by spreading some of that creativity like around the globe. Yes. Um, so we're, we're just as excited as taking on other people's products as we are creating our own. That's pretty cool. Um, so I'm gonna, I know your board games, I'm sure you guys sell them in local comic shops. Are they available, and on your website, are they available at like the big box stores or any, you know, like Walmart or Target? That's a great question. Um, so we, our, our games are currently available through 20 different game distributors. So unlike comic books, uh, game distribution is all sorts of companies out there. Um, the comics pretty much has one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but, but our games are, are readily available for most um, like hobby stores to be able to order at any given moment. Um, as far as big box stores, we're getting closer. Um, we have some interest in some big box stores and some of our new games that we're really excited about. We, we're trying to make our stuff really accessible um, mm -hmm. and types of games where new people who are new to gaming can jump in and learn how to play it pretty quick and enjoy it. And mm -hmm. people who are hardcore gamers who do this every day who don't have time for something simple. They want, they really want something that they, that has strategy, that they it's a fresh play through every single time they play it. We try to do a balance between those two. And that has been a really appealing to a lot of the bigger stores. So Barnes and Noble, uh, it was very, uh, they've been very great to work with. Um, they've been so excited about our game, Welcome To. So Welcome To, uh, also called Welcome To Your Perfect Home, is, um, is a, like a flip and fill game about designing neighborhoods. It sounds, dry but trust me it is so much fun mm -hmm. uh, it has uh it's won over a dozen awards now uh, it's been carried in several countries and barnes and noble has been keeping it in stock all the time on their shelves and we have been doing these um these little expansion packs that we've been making okay. we primarily sell them or used to sell them at conventions mm -hmm. before when back when conventions were still a thing yeah and uh and Barnes and Noble was like, we would really love to be interested in doing something exclusive. So uh, we packaged together this exclusive expansion pack where you get um, four different expansions in one box. And there is no better feeling than walking into Barnes and Noble and seeing it sitting on the shelf. 
Uh, it's so exciting. I'll, I'll never get used to it. <laughs> so just be like, I remember like designing this box. <laughs> like that. Um, and we're really, really hoping that we see over the next couple of years, um, a bigger, uh, a bigger interest in, in the big box stores. But, and, and it's there. It's just yeah, at least it's going to take a little bit of time, but we're very, very excited that, of what we've done so far. And, um, and we have, we have some sleeper hits that are coming. Oh man, I'm so excited. Some I can talk about, some I can't, but uh, one of the things about working here is that we have all these awesome artistic people here. And part of the job is, hey, you got to stay late tonight because you're going to test this board game. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we'll all drop all of our, you know, business stuff and we'll sit around and, and just play board games together. And because, uh, you know, these things have to be played about a hundred times before we will we'll be okay with putting that final rule book together, you know? Yes. Uh, we have to really look at, at how well everything works. And uh, it's one of the fun parts of the job that I imagine most people would enjoy doing. Yes. Wow. That, that is great. Sorry, Josh, I'm going to continue on. I'm going to get, I'm going to shift back the focus to the comics. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Drew is asking for aspiring new creators, artists, or writers. Um, what is your submission process? Um, so this is great. I actually have a lot of great advice for people who are looking to submit to, to smaller publishers. Um, first, <clears throat> I want people to understand what, um, what types of publishing there are. So uh, that'll really affect the way that you submit and who you submit to. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to see everybody get their voice. So even if I think that it won't be a good fit for us, I, if, I always recommend another publisher that I think would be a good fit. Okay. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of people who are new to comics or new to creating comics, they think in terms of Marvel and DC. Yeah. We get a lot of people who call us up and say, will you hire me to write your story or will you hire me to draw your story? And I have to remind them, Marvel and DC do not technically publish comics. They create a product line. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very different. You can't call up Marvel and say, I have a comic book here. Would you like to publish it? They don't do that. They create in-house products. It's yeah. drastically different than a publishing company. Like you couldn't call, uh, you know, Simon and Schuster and say, "I, uh, I would like you to hire me to write a book." <laughs> like they, don't, you know, they would say, "How about you send us your book?" <laughs> it's a very different. So, um, uh, comics has this big misconception that businesses run the way Marvel and DC do. When in reality, uh, even anything outside of Marvel and DC, that's that style of business is only a fraction of the books on the market. And those are the licensed ones like, like Power Rangers and Transformers. And, you know, there are, you know, uh, companies like IDW that do a hybrid model mm -hmm. that they, they focus on a lot of licenses, which means they do develop in-house properties and they hire people to, to work on those. Yes. And then they also publish other people's work. And then you look at image, uh, image comics is 100% creator owned comic books. That is the same way that uh, small grassroots companies that became legends like Caliber Comics are. They, they, they publish other people's work. That means that a lot of the creative side of things is, on, is tasked to the creative team. Uh -huh. And that does mean that whatever cost that entails is often put on the doorstep of the creative team and in the publishing side and distributing side and printing side is handled mm -hmm. by the publisher. So uh, a lot of people end up in our submissions asking for jobs and it's, mm -hmm. it's just very rare. Like, yes, we do hire people uh, freelance to work on books that we create in house, but it's very rare. Mm -hmm. uh, most times books come to us with their creative teams assembled 
and then we work with them to help guide them through the rest of their creative process. And then we take over from that point. Uh, and it always remains a partnership to the very end. Mm -hmm. uh, so keep that in mind. If you want to start comics, you may have an upfront investment and then you will essentially be hoping that you have partnered with the right publishing company that will help you regain your investment back through the sales and the royalties. Um, so yeah, if it takes you, five years to finish your your graphic novel take your time just do it do it right if you've got to pay for one page a month to an artist that you absolutely love and adore do it just keep in mind like that it may sell a thousand copies and by the time you break down costs and marketing and royalties and it, you may not make your money back like that is a real possibility in comics um and uh, we may not either. <laughs> that, that happens. We're in the hole on things, you know. Um, it's always a risk. We, we cannot uh, always predict what sales are going to be. So um, one of the things we try to do is we try to really, really work on uh, picking submissions that will fit in our lineup, mm -hmm. will will sell to our existing audience without giving them the same thing again, yes. uh, without letting it compete with another title that may be too similar. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when people come to us and they say, I have the perfect book for you. I mean, it has source point written all over it. It's, it's so similar to what you guys are already publishing. Sometimes we have to say no and say yeah. it's, it's too similar to what we're already publishing. Yes. Yes. Uh, we're, we don't disagree and it's a beautiful book and we absolutely love it. But to be honest, we, we just, we just signed something like that, you know? Um, so it's, it, they don't always know, they only see what's in stores now. Yes. Uh, we have publications lined up through 2022. So we know what's coming. We may, so don't get disheartened when you get a rejection. There's so many thing, reasons and it's not, it's not always about the quality of your work. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so back to the process, uh, we have a, uh, you can go to our website and this is, uh, this I can't stress this enough. This is the only way to do this right now. It, it this used to be very much a come to the booth and schmooze kind of thing. It's not like that anymore. You have to take the right steps to be put into our process at all to be considered at all. There's no like backdoor deals. So you come to our website and we have a submissions tab. You go onto the site and you you pitch us your idea. Uh, you tell us how far you are so far. Um, and this could be as, as close as we have a lot of pets in the office. <laughs> um, this could be as close as, as we have a finished miniseries all the way through done. It's ready yes. to go. Um, or this could be, a, we have a script and we have an artist, uh, lined up and we don't have any art yet. So anywhere within that range, um, is, is okay to pitch. We will listen. I can say that we can't always give you a contract based on an idea. Like, mm -hmm. of course, that's never enough. We will tell you what we think of your idea. You know, we'll get back to you. But in the end, try to have something done mm -hmm. that you can show us so that we can start connecting the visuals, the style, mm -hmm. and then something we can read. If, if you've only got eight pages of your first issue finished, great. Send us that and the script mm -hmm. so we can kind of read through and see where it's going. Yes. And then on top of that, send us... Uh, you don't have to break down every word of every issue in the series, but send us an outline of where it's going and for how long, how many issues is it going to be? Yes. Uh, exactly what genre and target audience you're going for. So like, this is for fans of this other book that really helps us get in your mind and not have to make any assumptions about your work and what yeah. your intentions are. Uh, and then from there, the best thing you can do is, is just give us a little blurb about each issue and, uh, and most importantly, a timeline 
for when realistically, don't be afraid to say this is going to take a while. Mm -hmm. Just give realistic dates of when you actually think that you will be done with these issues uh, one at a time. Because what we end up happening is people will spend a year on issue one, and then mm -hmm. they will promise us that issue two can be done in 30 days. And we'll solicit it and we'll put it into the publication schedule. And once those solicitations go to Diamond, that's end game. You have to meet the deadlines now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's really scary. Uh, and they're like, oh my, we can't do this as fast as we thought. So um, we, it's really important that you give us a timeline. And if, if the timeline, if there is no set timeline um, that you can give us, we're just less likely to, to be able to look at it seriously because we need to look at, based on your timeline, where it would fit in our schedule. And, without, and sometimes it may not, like, well, it can't happen in fall of 2022, we're booked. Mm -hmm. So if that's the timeline that you ended up giving us, we may have to adjust. Mm -hmm. or, or, or maybe we have a book that's too similar. So for example, we, we do a comic book called uh, Hank Steiner. And that is about a uh, Frankenstein's monster noir detective who is looking into uh, serial killer monster murders. Uh -huh. And it's really fun and it's got a great audience. It's definitely a Frankenstein's monster kind of story. Does that mean that we would never publish another Frankenstein's monster book? No, of course not. We, we love that sort of horror and, and we love monster stories. We will gladly publish your Frankenstein story, mm -hmm. but uh, we wouldn't want them to be published at the same time. Yes. We wouldn't want them to be published one after the other. We yes. want a little, a little breathing room between the two. So no, we have that to calculate on our end. So um, and, and the creators don't, they, 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 they wouldn't even know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, come, come fill it out, fill out our form on our site. If you don't hear from us for a while, we are okay with you tagging us and saying, hey, what's going on? And, and mm -hmm. you know, we'll be open and honest. So we're very transparent about the process. It does take a while. Uh, to give you an example, right now, we have 200, uh, a little over 200 uh, submissions that have, to have been vetted that are good and that we have to actually have a deep dive conversation about mm -hmm. out of those 200, we're probably going to take about 12. So yeah. it's the next step is very labor intensive and it requires uh, about five of us. And mm -hmm. so it, it's, it's something we do once a month um, and add, and then the little bits along the way um, are just checking to make sure that it's, it's, honestly even publishable sometimes it's like oh this is a square book and we've had no success with square books i'm sorry we're gonna have to say no or this is definitely not the right book for our audience you this is a great book you're just gonna have more success somewhere else yeah. things like that very rarely do we have to go back and say you're not there yet keep working um so don't worry about getting your heart broken by a rejection just keep mm -hmm. trying <laughs> that's a big one okay well uh, josh thank you for answering that question i'm just looking at our time are we uh, because I know I told you in my emails, uh, we'll keep it to an hour. Are, are you okay if we go a little over or? I'm, I'm okay with you as if you are. Sorry, I'm so long-winded. I'll, I'll no. start <laughs> no, jo no, Josh, no, it, it's great. I mean, it, it, because I'm kind of also going down rabbit holes. You're talking about your board game sections. Like, I, I, I want to talk about that. You know, just touch on that and so forth. Sorry. You know, I, I'm fine with that. So I just want to make sure that you're okay because because I'm going to be honest with you, you're working, <laughs> you're, you're on the clock right now. It's okay. Um, but if you need to go, let me know. So I can start wrapping things up. Sure, sure. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, um, a question off the cuff. Um, was that your dog that just popped in? Uh, that was our president's dog. Uh, his, oh. dog his, his name is Peanut. He's the big fluffy one. I have one too. He was over here sleeping right now. Okay. 
Sorry, yeah. guys. Josh is. Um, I I know this is all audio. Oh yeah, you're. He's. Yep, he's out. <laughs> this is Ozzy Posborn, the Prince of Barkness. He's, <laughs> he's a good boy. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for showing. Uh, German Shepherd, right? He is. Uh, he, he came from a rescue shelter who actually does not know what breed he is. Okay. Uh, they have guesses. He's very small. He stays that size. So he's much, much smaller than a German Shepherd, but he has the same markings as a German Shepherd, strangely. Uh, yeah. They think that he is, uh, based on some of his chest shape and his tail, they think he's part pug and part rat terrier, maybe something else. They're not sure. <laughs> so again, I'm sorry, um, the name of your dog again? His name is Ozzy Posborn, the Prince of Barkness. <laughs> he recently got his first game credit in our new game, Seven Summits. He was in the rule book. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Sorry, I'm going to get back, Josh. Um, Fourth Point Press, as I told you in my email, this is a real blind spot for me. Um, what, kind of, um, what kind of genre comics do you guys publish? If you can so go we, over that. When we first started, we were really big on... Uh, on crime noir comics and horror. Okay. Um, and since then, and we, we continue to love those genres. And we also really love like uh, pulpy stuff, uh, just uh, old school style pulp. And, um, and then from there, we've kind of gone on to do science fiction. And we had a lot of success with, uh, with titles like Salvagers, which is a really sci-fi heavy comic book. And, um, and then we continue to, to be what I consider to be a leader in, in horror in comics. Uh, to this day, we, we take that very seriously. But we've also extended into fantasy, mm -hmm. and um, uh, with uh, titles like like Ogre, uh, which formed into this whole like fantasy ogre verse um, that is going to a third volume actually coming up. And uh, we are starting to kind of experiment with with some kind of hybrid crossover genres. Um, uh, we were really excited about uh, uh, our first LGBTQ focused book that's. Um, actually in previews right now it's called 20 fists it's kind of like a, uh it's like a romance it's a romance comic that's kind of mixed with uh, a fighting uh, like a gang fighting story uh, akin to the warriors so it's a very cool mashup of genres uh, we've never really tackled romance so really this is a great way for us to step into an lgbtq romance comic by also having it be this like fist fight action story um and we're we're excited to kind of keep expanding on that. It, our, our success in fantasy has allowed us to take bigger steps in, in doing things like the Gloomhaven comic and taking on a very heavily loved and established fantasy universe and being able to do it justice. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're just really excited at this point to have so many cool creators under our belt that we can kind of start trying new things uh, and play to each of their strengths. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, what was your guys... Um... What were some of your top sellers, your best titles? Oh, so uh, Dead End Kids uh, was a, a murder mystery written by Frank Gogol. Okay. And um, it was a miniseries that we, none of us saw coming. It, it was such a huge hit and it is so loved um, by the fans and the readers. We, we just were blown away by it um, that we decided to do, uh, Frank decided to do a follow-up called uh, Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job, which takes place mm -hmm. uh, uh, a little bit later in time with a different group of kids. And it's uh, another kind of, uh, it's more like a heist crime story. And it also deals, those are also very personal stories that deal with real, um, real, very realistic struggles. It's very slice of life, but mm -hmm. in a unique setting. 
and uh, and we've we've seen great success with that as well. Uh, Frank has just been a, a great creator. His his series No Heroin, which is um, uh, a very serious dark story about drug addiction mixed with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer style uh, of uh, supernatural story, and um, the Rejected was I'd say probably our first huge hit. It was a graphic novel um, that is very much like a, a, a psychological horror as well as as a very realistic horror about uh, about demons and and uh, and keep giving people who are in a place of uh, uh, they're feeling weak or alone and giving them this sense of strength and family, but at a cost. Um, it's uh, it's very dark and, and very serious. And, and I was, it was so, it, it, I remember the first day that it took off. Mm-hmm. Our web store sales, it was late at night and I get a phone call from Travis. And he's like, are you seeing this? And I'm like, yeah, I think something's wrong with our web store. Uh-huh. We're getting almost an order a minute. Uh, and we'd never seen anything like that. And I was like, is there, are we being hacked? Some, is there some, how is this? He's like, I, I don't understand if it's an error. Why is money being deposited into our bank account? <laughs> <laughs> we were so confused. We're like, who are all these people buying this graphic novel? And we sold out uh, so quickly that we had to go to a second printing. And that sold out in one week. And we were just blown away. Um, so that went on to do two more graphic novels. And right now it's being collected into a big omnibus with a bunch of bonus content. Um, and then uh, Salvagers, we saw a lot of success with. Uh, that is a very cool established sci-fi universe written by Bob Sally. Uh, Bob has been just a home run for us as well. He's just a phenomenal writer who tends to work with really great people. So he, uh, he partnered with Sean Daly on mm-hmm. Ogre, which led into a second volume called Ogres. Uh, and Sean Daly is an artist we're very, a Canadian artist we're very, very fond of. Uh, he, he partnered with Easton Daverna, another phenomenal writer, and did a story called Samurai Grandpa. Uh, and all of these have just been just key titles for us at SourcePoint Press. And what's, what's great about this is, while, is each one is a hit and each one is a step into trying something new mm-hmm. uh, genre-wise. So every time we tried to step outside of our box, our readers really showed up for us. And that has just kind of reconfirmed like that we can do this and that it's okay to take these risks sometimes and try new things, especially when you have uh, great creators behind you, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd say that's probably our, our first round of hits. And I, if any of our creators were listening, and if I didn't mention your book, I apologize right now. <laughs> you know, I love all of it. <laughs> and I'll, I'm gonna throw this in because it was just a last minute question. It was like popped in my head. so. That's what I. That's why I asked Josh. So, <laughs> oh, I have to give one shout out to uh, Monstrous. Monstrous is uh, like our core. Uh, it's like a steampunk uh, world full of like Universal monster style uh, action. It's basically like steampunk robots fighting monsters. That has become our longest running series. It's it, it it's it's been just a fan favorite. I can't believe that it's still going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Wright, the writer, he's gone on to write a ton of other things for us, like Holliston, mm-hmm. Claim. And, uh, wild bullets and all these great stories, but monstrous becomes uh, it has really been the thread of of storyline that has been here since the beginning and continues to keep going. So big shout out to that book too. Okay, um, we've talked about past successes. Um, what what um, series um, should our listeners look forward to from Source Point Press? So right now in previews, for those who don't know, because this is such an important thing for small publishers, uh, that the way the industry works for small publishers is um, 
stores have to buy things two months before they come out. And that is their chance. They have like a three week window to decide if they're going to buy it or not. After that three week window is over, those small publishers, they're only going to print a little bit more than whatever was ordered because we can't afford to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that means pre-ordering at your local comic shop is the only way to keep small publishers alive. Mm -hmm. So knowing what's coming out a couple months from now is, is really important to helping out small publishers. So a lot of our focus and what we're promoting is we're, we're never promoting just what's coming out this month. We're coming out, with, we're always promoting what's available to pre-order. Uh, so right now in previews is the trade paperback collected edition of volume one of Broken Gargoyles. If you missed Broken Gargoyles, it was a huge fan favorite uh, new series written by Bob Sally. Um, and the trade paperback collect edition is the time to jump on. So you tell your local comic shop, pick that up uh, for me, you know, get, put it on my pull list, then you'll be prepared for volume two, which is going to be starting very soon. Uh, and the trade paperback collect edition actually features a painting on the cover by me um, that was previously only available on a very rare variant of issue one. So it's, if you liked that piece of art and you couldn't get your hands on it, now's a chance to. Um, another thing that's in previews right now is classic pulp ghosts. So classic pulp is a, a series of one shot collected uh, uh, collections of, of short stories from the forties. And um, that's something that I do. It's, a, it's like a pet project of mine. Basically what I do is I curate uh, comic content from the 40s that is no longer available to read to anybody. So it's not published anymore. The companies are long gone. Mm -hmm. And the remaining copies of this work are either heavily damaged yes. uh, or extremely rare. And if you owned one, you probably wouldn't read it. You'd probably encase it in plastic. So yeah. these stories don't get to be read anymore. So what I do is I partner with people from all over to try to get... Um, high-res scans of original pages of remaining copies. And oftentimes this means they're very damaged. So I spend a lot of time uh, undoing water damage, uh, taking away tears, sometimes removing pen marks or crayon. Uh, and I try to restore every single piece of, of uh, every single page and even repaint uh, them to look the same way they did the first day they were printed. So that what you have in your hand is the closest thing to a time machine you can get. And part of what I do in that process is I do a, a lot of deep dive research on crediting the original teams because in the forties, they often didn't get credits in writing. Sometimes just the writer would, sometimes not, the artist would and vice versa. Sometimes nobody would get credit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I go as far as contacting like grandchildren and great grandchildren um, to try to confirm is this your, I think your grandfather did this. Like, can you confirm in any way? Uh, or could I, here's my reasons for thinking so. And then uh, usually in every issue, there's a page in the beginning where I talk about what, what credits I was able to find and then which ones are still unknown. And I always encourage people, if they think they know who worked on this story, to please contact me. So for future printings, we can put some of those theories in there. Uh, so that's just kind of like a fun one. So this, this month's one uh, that's coming out in two months, it's available pre-order now is all about ghosts, it's all ghost stories, it's really fun. Uh, other than that, I, I would say uh, the big one to really keep your eye on is Yuki versus Panda number one is coming. It's, uh, it's a very popular series in Canada that has just been blowing up in the underground but has never been distributed on a mass level and has now come to SourcePoint Press. So we are starting back over with issue one and we're offering it up to you know uh, several countries and we're really excited, it's a very fun, fun, action-packed story uh, about an epic battle between a girl and a panda bear who escaped from the zoo and is on a mission of revenge because she bit off part of his ear as a child at the zoo. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a wild and crazy and really fun story. Uh, keep an eye out in the 
in the media because uh, there's going to be the Yuki versus Panda announcement is, is going to be hitting anytime. Um, so you'll be seeing uh, comic news media start talking about it. Okay. Um, and then uh, Cult of Dracula number three is available to pre-order. So what's weird about the timeline is stores are pre-ordering number three and they haven't even put number one on the shelf yet. Mm-hmm. So it really helps when you say, how many, like ask your local comic shop, nobody wants to put you on the hook for very long. At SourcePoint, we don't have a lot of ongoing series going on. So yes. we want to keep you in small chunks. So we'll give you five issues and then mm-hmm. take a break. And if you really loved it, we'll bring you another volume. So you can comfortably go to your local comic book shop and say, put Cult of Dracula on my pull list. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, you won't be paying us $4 every month for the rest of your life. Yeah. This is not Batman. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you're only in for like 20 bucks at the end of the day. It's not too bad, I promise. So, uh, so please tell them the whole series on your pull list. Don't just say, I want issue one, because uh, they have to make a decision on issue two and three before they even see the sales on issue one. So guaranteeing those sales helps them have the confidence to pre-order. So right now, issue one of Call to Dracula will hit uh, last Wednesday of this month. Okay. And then issue three is available to pre-order now. It's the perfect time to say, I would like issues one, two, and three at your local shop. That series is going to be probably the biggest thing we do this year. Uh, we're so, so excited about it. Uh, and luckily, uh, so far, the readers have been two. And the pre-orders we saw in number one were just amazing. So mm-hmm. we're really grateful. Okay. Uh, um, I think that's most of the plugs I want to give there. Okay. And I'm going to say... And- during our conversation, if anything, if any other comic series pops up, just, just shout it out. Don't don't worry. Um, let's see. Are there any new writers or artists? You know, as as we readers should keep an eye out on. Oh, that's a great question. Um, mm, so Puiz Calzada, uh, he is a a fantastic horror illustrator. Uh, he's done a lot of like horror movie t-shirts and things like that. He's, he's done some great work in comics. Um, so a dear friend of ours, Adam Green, he's a, a film director and writer. Uh, he has a, ser- uh, a series of movies called Hatchet. Just Hatchet 1, 2, Hatchet 3, and then Victor Crowley is the name of the fourth movie. Uh, NECA just released an amazing action figure of his, his creation. So this here, I know you guys can't see it, but I have some awesome action figures up here in my office of our friend Adam's uh, character from his movies. So that has a comic book series. We do not publish it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually published by American Mythology. Yes. But Puig Calzada is um, one of the artists who worked on that comic book series. Mm-hmm. And we do one of Adam's other properties called Holliston. We do the comic book series for that. Uh, Puig is somebody I've admired for a long time. Him and I kind of came up in the illustrating gigs, you know, ranks back in the day, doing like sketch cards and things together. Uh, always working on the same projects for the same companies and things like that. And I've always wanted to pull him into comics at SourcePoint. And we finally got a break in his very busy schedule. And he is taking over the art for Cult of Dracula. He is awesome. And I really, really think that he's going to just become one of the next hottest artists. I really say, please keep an eye on him and what he's doing. Uh, he'll be taking over on issue three. Uh, of Cult of Dracula, and I just know that he's gonna kill it. Uh, the pages I've seen so far are gorgeous. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out on him. Um, Frankie White and Kat Bowman are the creative team behind 20 Fists, mm-hmm. and that is such a cool, unique comic. As I mentioned earlier, it's kind of our, our, our first uh, uh, LGBTQ romance story, and at the same time as this kind of gritty gang war action. And, um, and 
I think they are both just phenomenal and they're kind of newcomers to the scene, but they've both, uh, they're both very talented and have written and drawn other things. And I just cannot wait to see what they come up with next. I'm mm -hmm. such a, a huge fan already. Mm -hmm. So uh, definitely try out 25th and, and just check out those guys and keep an eye on them because they're going to be doing just great things. Um, and uh, I would say some other ones that are kind of going a little unsung. Um, well, I shouldn't say unsung. It depends on where you're from. If you're from the Midwest, you're probably super, super familiar with Dan Doherty. Um, he does a series for us called Touching Evil. But if you're outside the Midwest, you may be less familiar. I recommend checking out Dan Doherty as a human being. Okay. Touching Evil is by far one of our favorite comic series. It's also one of our longest running. It's on issue 14 right now, okay. and it's still just killing it. It's doing great. But uh, anybody who's into um, comic strips, uh, like uh, he, he has a syndicated comic strip called Beardo, uh, and it ran for years. And long before I ever got to work with Dan in comics, I was a huge fan of that comic strip. It was one of my favorites. For me, it's right up there with Calvin and Hobbes and Get Fuzzy. Uh, and I, I really highly recommend uh, checking him and his work out in all ways, not just the stuff we publish. Anything he does is great. He has a new series right now that just finished up the second volume on Kickstarter called Floppy Cop. And Floppy Cop, I, I remember the day he pitched it to us. My first thought was, who is going to buy this? Mm -hmm. I don't know the target audience. It, it's a it's a comedy co buddy cop series about a an officer who is missing literally missing a spine. So his he he's when he runs his head is like bouncing off the, the ground because he's bending and flopping all over the place. It is the weirdest weirdest book I've ever read, and it is also one of the funniest stories i've i've never enjoyed a comic book so much and that's the biggest thing we get back from from people who buy that they're just like this is weird i'm gonna try it out that's yeah. usually how it sells i've gotta see what this is all about they laugh so hard out loud reading a comic book which never really happens you know people are clever but like this is new and that's the first thing they say like i haven't had so much fun reading a comic book in my life mm -hmm. uh and so i highly just keep an eye on him because he does comedy very well and he also does serious stories like touching evil very well okay um, so he's he's phenomenal and he has a uh, he's a good eye for other talents too so anybody he partners with uh mm -hmm. tends to be great uh seth demus so he's an artist and a writer uh, and he writes and does art for Touching Evil, but for Floppy Cop, he got uh, Seth DeMoose to come in for art, uh, who has more of a cartoony style than he does and just knocks it out of the park. Um, yeah, so definitely keep an eye out for him. I, got, I have to check that out. That sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to ask you a fun question before I'm going to start wrapping up this part of our interview. Who, either currently or legendary, and, artist and writer, would you like to work with at Source Point Press on a limited series or graphic novel? Which creators, you know? So for me, this is, uh, you would think it'd be a really difficult question because I just have so many people that I, I love and appreciate, but there are a couple names that I always, I've always been huge fans of and always thought that they were just, just outside of our reach, right? Like I, I'm not aiming for, for, you know, huge legends. Like I don't necessarily need like Jim Steranko to come do a series for us or anything, but just people that I'm personally a really big fan of. Yeah. And um, I'm so lucky to say that those two that have always been in the back of my brain since day one of SourcePoint have now both done work for us. Uh, one is Ben Templesmith uh, and the other is Francesco Francavilla. And 
so far, the only thing that both of them have done for us now are covers and they're gorgeous covers and I love them. Um, so one of these days that I would say my next goal is to get one of them on interior art for, uh, for probably like a three or four issue miniseries. I think that would be so, so cool. Okay. Um, I'm just going to ask, um, what about any writers? Um, oof. Uh, we, I would say one of the, one of the big writers uh, who's kind of been a legend in, and also like a behind the scenes master in the industry, his name is Andy Schmidt. He was a senior editor at Marvel. Uh, and for those who don't know, editors at Marvel do so much more than just edit a script. They're not there to check your grammar and typos. They are creating the universe and guiding you through it. So every big, huge crossover Marvel event while Andy was there was his doing. And you would never really know that by reading credits in the comics. So for example, uh, like a lot of the stuff that Andy was responsible for at Marvel went on to become the movie adaptations that we know and love today. For example, uh, the new iteration of what Guardians of the Galaxy is, like that lineup and those characters. Uh, while Andy wasn't writing those series, he was the reason why that existed. And the movies are based off of his concept for what Guardians of the Galaxy should be. Civil War uh, was another thing he was heavily involved in. When he left Marvel, he went to IDW, um, where he continued to both write and edit, and then eventually left IDW to, to run his own comic book school called Comics Experience. Um, I was, we all thought it would be phenomenal to work with Andy Schmidt someday. And I'm very, very proud and lucky to say that we did. Uh, we partnered with Comics Experience and have become dear, great friends with Andy. And we work with him on a regular basis. And uh, we're lucky enough to get him to write a series for us mm -hmm. uh, called Achilles Incorporated. And it's an awesome superhero series that um, it takes a very new twist on superheroes. And uh, coming from the guy who is a legend in superhero stories. Yes. So while we don't usually do them, yeah. I can't think of a better person to write them. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I am proud to say that the kind of one of the people who has already been a goal for us, we were able to obtain it. So we did it. <laughs> That's, cool. That's great. Okay. So my next question is from Drew. This is what we're going to get a little bit more serious about. But Drew asked, you know, where do you see the comic industry going in 2021? Um, so this is such a good question. Uh, there's a very interesting shift. And a lot of this is related to the way people shop. And then yeah. the way people shop has been evolving for a long time. But then in the past year, it started evolving a lot faster. Okay. Uh, because of the pandemic, the way people are purchasing comics and the places people are purchasing comics um, has changed. Yes. And uh, unfortunately for comic book stores, it has in part shifted away from them. Um, for example, uh, graphic novel sales have actually surpassed uh, in from booksellers have actually surpassed graphic novel sales from comic book shops. Mm -hmm. Comic book shops are still very much working on a month to month basis with single issues mm -hmm. and the trade paperback collected editions are not what is keeping their stores in business. Um, they sell less of those at the shops and those are now picking up speed rapidly uh, with online booksellers and uh, bigger box stores like Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. um, for better or worse, that is the direction that a lot of readers are going. And the, the reason for that is, is, I think, complex, but I would say, but for part of it is a binge reading culture. Um, mm -hmm. People, uh, the way that they 
uh, uh, consume media has changed. And that kind of has crossed over into reading. So a lot of readers will, will sit out the series and just wait for the trade. Yes. And then when they get the trade, they don't necessarily drive to their local comic book shop to get it. Um, and the pandemic is, has kind of increased that uh, to full. A lot of people are buying online, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that we do to kind of keep our titles moving, because what we're seeing is we're seeing a big decline in those graphic novel sales at comic book shops. Our, our, while we have a, you know, a good incline on single issues, graphic novel sales are, are, are more difficult. So what we did recently is we just announced the news last week uh, that we've partnered with Simon & Schuster for global distribution. And this means that um, booksellers will be able to get our entire backlist of graphic novels and trade paperback collected editions, as well as uh, everything going forward. We're actually planning out releases with them eight months in advance now. And we're very excited to say that uh, there's a likely chance that later this year you can walk into when it's safe to, if you feel comfortable to, walk into a bookstore and see uh, our graphic novels right alongside Marvel and DC's. And uh, that's very exciting. Um, it also means that as a publisher, we have a responsibility to the comic book stores to push more marketing in their direction to help them understand their customers as best as they can and get them what they want. Mm -hmm. Because the last thing we want to do is see that this shift in, in media culture to be the end of the comic book store, right? Yeah. So. Uh, luckily, a lot of comic book shops have actually adapted to this really well. Yeah. Some of them are having um, uh, great success uh, with selling through like Facebook live auctions. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're finding new ways to give recommendations to their customer base and yeah. even increase their customer base outside a 15 mile radius of their mm -hmm. physical business by focusing on their online efforts more. And um, big kudos to those because uh, that shift was a necessary one. It wasn't one you wanted necessarily to do. It's something you had to do to survive. And for the most part, from what I've been watching and seeing, it's, it's, mind, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely amazing. You guys are all killing it. I'm so proud of, of what retailers are able to, to survive right now. Uh, part of what we did in this past year to make sure that we could do our part to help was we, um, we asked everyone who placed an online order on our personal web store to name their local comic book shop that they would like to support. And we sent just no strings attached money to them for every sale. So anything they bought on our web store, we pretended like it was purchased by that retailer and we gave their what would normally be their cut of the sale to them in just a simple PayPal, here's some money. Like <laughs> you didn't have to do anything for it, whatever the case was just our way of like saying, you can do both. You can support your local comic shop and continue to buy from us online. Yeah. Uh, we also sent out uh, 200 packages of graphic novels, uh, physical ones for free, no shipping charge, nothing to comic book stores to sell or give away in contests or whatever they wanted to do with them. So we're talking um, $20 trade paperbacks, a box of them, uh, 200 boxes. So we, we cleared out a big chunk of our warehouse and kind of helped uh, one, keep our titles relevant in what yes. they're doing, but also give them some free product to experiment with if they wanted to try a Facebook sale or whatever they wanted to do with it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting shift. It's going to be a hard one. And our job is to try to be on top of all of it and all sides of it. And uh, we're doing what we can. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really great. Um, my last question for this section, where do you see SourcePoint Press either a year from now or five years from now? Um, so 
we have already dipped our toes into uh, other forms of entertainment. So we, on top of doing, you know, comics and board games, uh, we had our first movie uh, hit theaters and uh, for a limited, limited theatrical appearance. Um, it was based on one of our, our graphic novels called Rotten Tale, which was like an Easter horror story. And, uh, and every holiday needs a horror movie, right? So why not an Easter horror movie? And we were super proud and excited to land Rotten Tale in theaters and then get uh, a, a Blu-ray release. And, um, we have had a lot of interest in our IPs since then in, uh, in film. And in the background, we have been working on a Franklin and Ghost animated series. Um, and now I'm very proud to say that there's also a Yuki versus Panda animated series as well. And, and people can watch the trailer for that um, on our YouTube channel. And I imagine five years from now, there will be some sort of large scale uh, other media release based on one of our IPs. Uh, that's really exciting. I would say one year from now, uh, we will see us uh, with better and bigger distribution. So we'll see, you'll start seeing SourcePoint in more stores regularly uh, and Deepwater Games. So I would say Target, uh, within one year, you might see like some something of one of our companies in something like a Target or, or a large big box store like that. And then five years from now, I would say we'll probably see more movies and animated series. Uh -huh. And um, that is absolutely terrifying. I know that it sounds like a huge, exciting, successful thing, but trust me, it is, it's such a gamble. And there's so, like, the, the, the amount of money that goes into projects like that. Uh, I've just been sick to my stomach since day one going, how do we keep doing this? It keeps getting bigger. It's uh, absolutely terrifying, but I'm, I'm so excited and so um, mm -hmm. grateful to people a lot to go this far. Okay, so you said that you guys released a movie called now, correct me if I'm wrong, Rotten Tail. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because when I was looking up some information about SourcePoint Press, and I saw your Twitter feed. So correct me if I'm wrong, are you a part-time actor? I, I, thought, <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I thought I read that somewhere in your Twitter feed. I could Yeah, if you go on IMDb and you, uh, and you, you look me up, Joshua Warner, I've done, yeah. um, I've done probably I'm around like a dozen uh, movies and TV shows. Uh, so I've done, I've done some acting and I've done some behind the scenes stuff too. Like um, uh, I have a couple writing credits and I have, cause I, I forgot to mention that I write too. In fact, I'm, I'm actually writing a comic book series uh, that's like a secret project right now. And I'm very, very excited about. Um, but uh, so I've done a little bit of writing in film and then uh, I've done some makeup uh, effects and uh, just little, production credits here and there, kind of behind the scenes stuff. Um, I've done storyboards and concept art and, and yeah, I've acted in a lot of weird random stuff. Uh, some of it I'm proud of, some of it, uh, I, I was in a movie that got a lot of awards. Uh, I was able to spend a really fun weekend at Sundance once and mm -hmm. uh, meet a lot of great people. And yeah, it's one of those things I'd only do if somebody asks me to, I don't go out and audition. Um, if somebody asks me to audition for something because they, they, a casting director thinks that I'm a good fit, then I'll gladly show up. And if it's a small role that I can fit in my schedule, that's the mm -hmm. big thing. I don't have time to take a few weeks off for a film anymore. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, a, it's something I, I used to do a lot. I used to do a lot of theater work and I'm still, uh, I, I still have fun with I don't consider it uh, work. <laughs> um, let's, um, so these, um, were you like, um, was it, is it like these movie um, roles, was it more locally in Michigan or did you like fly out to California? 
No, they were mostly um, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania productions. Oh, okay. um, there, for a while, I was involved in some Michigan stuff at a time when Michigan had a really great tax credit for films. Okay. So for a little bit, there was a big booming industry in Michigan. And during that time, I was doing um, a lot of storyboard work and kind of I was really heavily involved in the in the direction of, of Michigan as a state in the film industry. And um, in fact, when the governor, uh, when the new governor at the time had taken those tax credits away, mm-hmm. I was uh, I was on the news a lot um, talking about what it was going to do and how it was going to impact some of the small businesses that had literally been created just to sustain the film industry and how all of a sudden all of them were gone. Everybody packed up their bags. Uh, Transformers left the state, like just huge productions that were literally fueling the economy for mm-hmm. Detroit. And um, Detroit is kind of my, you know, my, my love. So I, I was very vocal in that. Mm-hmm. And um, you could see me complaining a lot on the news. <laughs> uh, and then um, after that, yeah, I did, I did some work in Pennsylvania uh, for a bit. Um, there's a phenomenal filmmaker out there uh, named John Lyons, who's keeping a lot of his, uh, his work very Pennsylvania focused and he's just doing incredible things right now. He has a new movie out with Adrian Barbeau that's just looks phenomenal. I can't wait to see it. Uh, and, and yeah, I, um, I, I wish I could say I did, did work in LA. I, I have friends and, and family out there and stuff and I'm always keeping up with what they're doing. But to be honest, it's, I'm so busy. I, I don't think I could even want to try to make it work. <laughs> now I, I'm like I said, again, I'm going off the cuff here. Um, and like I said, I'm just looking for great, positive outcomes who who's the biggest celebrity you met and that was so nice and so cool to work with or just to even sit and talk for a little while um i'm so so lucky to have met so many people that are just heroes to me uh i met george romero before he passed away and uh i was able to spend uh this was actually met him at sundance the year that he was uh debuting diary of the dead and uh I was there and I saw, I saw the first screening of it and I was able to attend an after party with him. And I spent a lot of time talking to him. And then a couple months later, he asked me to do some artwork on a Night of the Living Dead related project, mm-hmm. uh, which was phenomenal. So I got to do some Night of the Living Dead official you know, artwork for a trading card set and some other things. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, it seemed like after, uh, during that time, I was, uh, befriending a lot of the original cast members of Night of the Living Dead in, uh, in Pennsylvania. So Bill Heinzman, who was, Bill Heinzman was just the best. He was, made, he was the first zombie you see in Night of the Living Dead and the first modern zombie in cinema history. So outside of like the voodoo zombies we got from like the 30s and 40s, Bill Heinzman, the cemetery zombie in, that approaches uh, them in the cemetery at the beginning of the film, yes. he is the first zombie, real, like zombie as the way that we see them in modern times. And uh, he is, he was one of the most, wonderful human beings and he loved his fans uh i was able to spend a few weeks with him uh and he we we went to the bars together he drank me under the table even at his old age and then he passed away uh right as i was doing a painting of him uh i was like you don't get enough credit for being like kind of the face of of this you know, you're we're so used to seeing the little girl who turns in the, you know, uh, in the basement from the film being like the zombie face, but he's like, he returns throughout that movie multiple times and he is like the leading zombie in the film. And um, uh, I did this painting of him and he died uh, like the week I was doing it. Um, And then it wasn't long after uh, that George Romero himself passed away. Mm -hmm. And 
that guy just, he did it his way right up until the end. Mm -hmm. uh, no one it, like ever stayed as indie as George Romero. He always did his own productions with his own funding and his own team. Mm -hmm. And he continued to give large roles to no name actors. And yes. uh, he pushed for diversity in films at a time when no yeah. one else did. Um, I'm just always forever indebted to like what he has done for the horror genre. Uh -huh. So that is, that's always one that's going to stick with me. Um, uh, there's been countless though, obviously like I've been very lucky to, to meet a lot of kind of living legends of mine right, right before they died. It's some of which that I, I, I missed out on, or I did conventions with, but I didn't take the time to talk to. And then one year later they were gone. And that, those are the ones that haunt me the most. But, um, but yeah, I've, uh, uh, I've had a lot of fun at like, you know, at parties and things, uh, doing shots with Jason Momoa, oh, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, doing karaoke with Tom Payne who played Jesus from Walking Dead. You know, um, it's nice to see those people like wind down after a long day of just kind of catering to the fans and they just kind of come out of their shell and have some fun and just yeah. with, with us, you know, artists and writers and it's, uh, it's always been a great time. I could talk endlessly. <laughs> Um, all right, so I'm gonna. This is the part I'm gonna start wrapping up with fun questions. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little off the cuff question I wanted to ask because of your your um, acting background. Um, I'm gonna ask. Do we still have time for a few more questions? Uh, how, okay. All right. So, um, what was your best convention? Well, what's your best convention moment or moments? Uh. I won't go into too much detail on it, but I, uh, there's a very, very funny story that gets tossed around this office a lot about uh, a, a very small convention that I was doing that was, it just had a bad turnout. So when that happens, a lot of times we get to leave our booths a little bit, stretch our legs and kind yeah. of chat with other people. Yes. And um, uh, we ended up in this very, very long conversation with, uh, with Jim Steranko. And Steranko is just obviously, he's a, he's a legend and he's one of the last from that, you know, period of time. And, um, and I've, you know, I've been a big fan since I was a kid. And, and you know, he, he gave me a really beautiful print of one of his paintings that he did for a pulp novel cover of The Shadow. I'm a huge fan of The Shadow. I grew up, my grandparents used to play the, uh, the radio show at night when I was a kid all the time. So uh, uh, that was... That was really cool, but mostly listening to that guy tell stories, wow, is it entertaining. He has so many stories about like being on the set of Indiana Jones and uh, yes. uh, yeah, working with, with just total legends. Um, a lot of people forget that he's kind of responsible for a lot of like iconic film things too, because he designed some of these characters and what they're meant to be like. Indiana Jones was based off of a painting that he did. Yes. And, and a lot of the visual direction was, was uh, he was in charge of for that. Yes. Um, so yeah. Uh, one of my best convention moments was just love him or hate him. He is a character. Oh yeah. my gosh, is he a character? <laughs> so I really enjoyed listening to his stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I know I, I know what you're saying because I I bought this Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if it was like a uh, a movie book, and it was one of those through. It was back in the '80s, like through one of those like. Uh, either Santa Graphics or nothing like that, Fangor or something like that. And I was flipping through it because, you know, I was a huge Raider of the Lost Ark fan. And I see this painting and I'm like, this is great. And I'm like, Jim Schrankel. <laughs> you know, was like, yeah. <laughs> but what was pretty cool about that painting was you see Indiana Jones, the fedora, the whip, 
and a cigarette out of his mouth. That was that was classic. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, in fact, he actually thought that Harrison Ford. He argued with uh, with some of the filmmakers. He thought Harrison Ford was a poor casting choice. He didn't think he was quite manly enough. He wanted somebody who was super intimidating and was yeah. less charming. Uh, somebody you'd be kind of afraid of because if you said the wrong thing, they'd punch you in the mouth. You know. Yeah. It's so fun to listen to him tell stories from that time period. <laughs> but no, yeah, because in that in that painting, yeah, it's like you see Indiana Jones. He's this huge guy, the the barrel chest. It's oh yeah, I like almost like a not not Charlton Heston like, but almost like a Charlton Heston physique, you know? Totally, yeah. It was almost a trope for those early, uh, like, pulpy men's magazines of, yes. like, that guy just beating everybody up in the jungle. Like, that was really the direction he wanted to take it. <laughs> Okay. Um, um, do you want to give a shout out to your favorite LCS? And then Absolutely. if you have, if you have more than one, that's fine. Just you know. uh, mostly, I want to just uh, say that Koi's Comics here in Saginaw, it is the comic shop that we're next door to, and that we started off in the back room of, mm -hmm. uh, has grown to become one of the best comic book stores in America, and I have visited a lot of them. Yes, uh, it's ran by Stephen Shar who is a comic book artist himself, who is, uh, he does artwork for us for our Holliston graphic novels, the Adam Green property that's a, also a television series on Shudder. Um, he is a great artist in his own right and he knows and loves comics so, so passionately and so deeply that he has put together just an incredible store. Um, I highly recommend if you, if you don't live in Michigan, which most of you probably don't, uh, you can check out their Facebook page and he, they do, uh, constant uh, live videos to do tours of the shop and just talk about comics and I mean he reads every single one of them so like he he's he's up to date on everything he's a great person to meet and chat to I highly recommend you check him out so Koi's Comics in Saginaw Michigan okay um you know what's your um uh, what's your favorite restaurant um what's your favorite restaurant over there <clears throat> excuse me so I I I moved up here to live closer to the office um, last year. I moved right in the middle of the pandemic, which was a crazy time to move. Mm -hmm. And um, I have since then, because of the pandemic, I haven't gotten to experiment with very many of the restaurants. I have done like a lot of curbside pickup and takeout, and I'm still kind of finding my way around um, like the restaurants here. And I'm, I'm trying to hit up every single local one because I'm very lucky that this is a city that has lots of great food. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so far I am still looking for a good Thai place, okay. but I've found some really good Japanese food. Um, I found some good Korean food and I've found uh, a lot of great Chinese and uh, I'm, I'm trying to get Thai. I, I, and I've spent a lot of time in Asia. Um, I, I, my, I've, I filled a passport and had to get a second one <laughs> to, because I'd filled it. It's uh, during my fashion design days, I spent a lot of time in South Korea and, uh, and various parts of China. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I just kind of fell in love with a lot of different food out there. So I'm continuing to find just the perfect Korean place, but I'm still experimenting here. I have a lot more food to, to, uh, to eat <laughs> before I can pick one. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wrap. Actually, before I continue on, you, um, you're still trying to look for your favorite, you know, favorite Thai restaurant in your area. Let me ask you this then. Um, what's your favorite Thai dish? that you love? Oh, oh. <laughs> I feel like whatever I'm going to say is going to sound incredibly American. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, I, oh my gosh. I feel like I need to pull up the menu and pick something. Um, uh, so the, my, my, there, some of the local places from where I used to live had uh, just incredible like Bangkok chicken uh, recipes. They, they were doing something different with them and I can't put my finger on what it was. I've tried to replicate it at home and never had success. Um, so I, I suppose like finding a new replacement for Bangkok chicken at a Thai restaurant would be phenomenal, especially if it has a little bit of kick to it. Okay. Uh, I love uh, trying out uh, different spicy Thai dishes, but Thai is one that I almost, I feel like every time I go there, I want to try something new. Okay. So I don't have a, a go-to. Uh, per se, but um, I'm very open to experimentation, and I have a lot of regulars when it comes to Japanese. Like I love um, uh, barbecued squid uh, is like a personal favorite. So I love experimenting with squid dishes. And I have to uh, say I've never heard that one. Barbie, and I live in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also a, a huge fan of Korean, so like uh, all types of, of like Korean barbecue. And uh, so most recently, I just mastered uh, doing uh, bibimbap at home. And uh, it's a complicated dish. There's so many different elements that all have to be cooked separately. I make a giant mess in the kitchen when I do bibimbap. But I also make a really good bulgogi. I found just the perfect marinade. And uh, there's an Asian marketplace here in Saginaw, and uh, I've become friends with the owner, and she she helps me with my recipes. I go in with ideas and say, this is what I want to do. And she'll yeah. actually shop with me. It's really yeah. fun. That's pretty cool. Oh, okay. All right. All right, Josh. Um, I'm going to start wrapping it up. Uh, and I'm going to say thank you very much for your time. I know we are literally, we, you know, this is, thank you for your time. Just thank you very much. Okay. So again, can you promote your social media platform and SourcePoint Press um, social media platform? Yes, so uh, you can find me personally at Joshua Frantic on Twitter and Instagram and SourcePoint Press at SourcePoint Press uh, on Instagram and Facebook and SourcePT Press on Twitter. Okay, and then um, do you have any last words to our listeners? Um, just that uh, if you're looking for something new and you want to do some short miniseries or little graphic novels, like we have great price points for like lots of jumping on points to check out what we do at SourcePoint Press. And uh, if your local comic shop doesn't currently carry it, it would mean the world to us to introduce them to us uh, and uh, ask them to pull out a copy of the previous catalog and see what's coming out from us and, you know, pick something out and try it out. All right. All right, Josh. Again, you know, Josh, thank you very much for your time. You know, again, like I, like I said, I know this is going on for an hour and 45 minutes. Just thank you very much. You know, until next time, guys, aloha. Bye. Thanks, everybody.